Welcome to the Midas Touch Podcast, Ben. Mycellus is here, joined by my younger brothers, Brett and Jordy Mycellus. We have an incredible show for you today. Political strategist and co-founder of the Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, will be joining the Midas Touch Podcast today. We got Rick Wilson on. We got Rick Let's Wilson go. on Good guests lately, man. I mean, this show is really taken off. I think there's an extra magic right now because Jordy and I are recording right at you live from the same house, but a couple of rooms over from one another because we didn't want our mics to be messed up and to interrupt the experience for you. But Jordy <laughs> and I are about uh, 10 steps away from one another. It's very exciting. Everybody get your vaccine so that you could see your family Get out there, get into the world. I'm just seeing that the CDC has just announced a change in its guidance saying that you can now be indoors or outdoors without a mask if you've been vaccinated. So go get vaccinated, go get back to normal. This is a testament to the leadership of President Biden, and this is huge news and shows how far that we've come. Here's the thing. Other than Brett, Brett loves to wear his mask when he showers. Brett loves to wear his mask when he sleeps. <laughs> don't, don't be mask shaming, man. Uh, you're going to you're going to get don't be mask you're going to get a world of hate for for mask shaming. But proceed if you want to go down this route. Proceed. I do want to go down this route, Brett. Brett Remember loves when, to wear his you mask. You got to say route funny. It's route. Brett, you got route, not root. That's both. weird. It's both. What are you going to say, Jordy? It's route. Route. That's, that's an Ohio. That's an Ohio thing. All right. Let me just explain to you where I'm going with this. Other than Brett, Brett likes to shower with his mask. Brett likes to make food alone with his mask. Brett is Mr. Mask. Here's what I genuinely think. Other than, you know, I think most people, Brett loves wearing his mask. He sniffs the mask after he wears it. Brett is a whole weird... Ben just decides to like make things up on the podcast because we have a big audience and he thinks he could just totally just fabricate things. And then I'm not going to say that what he's saying are complete lies. I'm going to ben, check in you. Ben's, in Ben's Dale defense, I have, right now. I have heard that you do smell your masks after you wear them. Confirm or deny. I mean, this is a ridiculous line of question. Did not deny. I just want to let the record show <laughs> that he did it's not like, outright It's deny. like one of those things if you ask like something outrageous to a politician, then the headline becomes like... <laughs> Brett Micellis says, no, he does not sniff his mask. Why would and you just deny so He's crying. Because I already did. One on thing that podcast. is nice, though, I will say, is after a nice wash, you know, you should wash your masks because you don't want to be a disgusting person. But after you wash your masks, it does kind of smell like you're living in a laundry room. And I'm not too upset about smelling that. I think that's a good smell. And I okay, so I, I, I guess where you mask. draw the line, Brett, is Jordy and I have caught use on many occasions. This is not masks. even. This is not even a true. <laughs> uh, this is not even. A, this is not even a true statement. It's the most ridiculous thing. This isn't on the outline. What's going and on? And just here? where what you're saying though, Brett, is that you you're just your claim. So I understand it. I'm not claiming is that anything. you sniffed the mess. <laughs> You sniff the mask. I just want to understand your claim is that you sniff the masks after it comes out of the dryer. No, I'm saying when you wear a mask on your nose, you if you have scent, if you have the ability to smell, then you're bound to smell whatever's on the mask. And if you have your little smelly masks because you don't shower then or or you don't uh, you don't wash your masks, I guess your masks smell like poop and my masks smell like nice linen closets full of uh, laundry and flowers. All right, let me let me let me bring this podcast back on on track, Brad. I know you're trying to derail it. So the point here is, is that what's the point? I don't know the point. OK, what's the point? <laughs> That's a big point here <laughs> okay, is that at the end of the day, we wear masks, not because we love masks. We wear masks because we want to keep others safe at the end of the day. And this whole entire mask debate is no debate at all, because at the end of the day, we would all love to transition so that there is zero mask wearing. Okay, we don't love walking around wearing masks. And at every step of the way, when Trump was in power, he and the GQP continuing to this day with the GQP do everything to prevent the outcome which they profess to want in the first place, which is why they are a death cult. At the end of the day, if we did the right things, if we had a true leader who would deal with COVID from the outset and have the appropriate intervention and not tell us to drink bleach and like a miracle, it was all going to go away. The likelihood there wouldn't be 
half a million deaths, um, number one. And number two, less important, but nonetheless significant, all of the things that GQP claims to want to do to have large gatherings, even though most of them are basement dwellers anyway, you know, most of the things they profess to want to do, not wearing masks, they, they, they hate you know, they hate masks with the passion. It's great. You can hate masks with the passion. People don't like wearing things on their face, but let's just solve the fucking problem. And now we have a president and leadership that is solving the problem. And in the face of leadership that is solving the problem, the GQP just goes crazy, crazy, crazier each fucking day. We have the outcome. We talked about this vote with Liz Cheney. Um, to oust her. That vote has now taken place. Um, If you want to even call it a vote, the GQP members of Congress met privately and they did what's called a voice vote. Real profiles of courage here. (laughs) Okay. And what a voice vote is, is they don't actually count the vote. There's no counting. You go into a room and you go all in favor of ousting Liz Cheney, say aye. All in favor, say nay. And then at the same time, they go, I day, I day. All right. The eyes have it. Liz Cheney is out. That was the vote that they took. And the irony of this all is that for the past few months, the whole GQP thing, especially Marjorie Taylor Greene, her whole thing is we need to get everybody on the record with every bill, with every everything. She's been clogging up Congress on things that are, are basic, that everybody agrees on unanimous voice votes just to get everybody on the record and to just cause chaos since she was kicked off all of her committees and has nothing else to do. But this... This important issue where you're where you're kicking off Liz Cheney from a committee, this goes straight to a voice vote. These people are such cowards. I mean, that's the thing. It's just the cowardness of the Republican Party. The cowardice of the Republican Party shows no bounds, and they are still cow-towing. They are still showing fealty to a blogger in exile in Florida. That's who they are afraid of. Aren't there any parameters around a voice vote? Like you would think for something as as serious as what they had voted on, like that would be a mandatory. Hey, like record vote. You know, it's 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 their party. So I guess they could, you know, run run their ship how they want to run their ship. But Ben, I liked your idea that you posted the other day, which was if you have a Republican representative, what you should do is you should reach out and you try to get them on the record because they will respond to you. And I think you should say, you know what, I don't want a form response where you explain, you know, in four paragraphs your thoughts on election integrity or whatever terms and bullshit you want to use. I just want a yes or no answer. Did you vote I or did you vote nay on that vote? Get your Congress people on the record. Are they standing with democracy or are they standing against it? That's and people That's were like, why thought. would I go and ask that question? They're not going to respond to me. Look, your members of Congress do oftentimes respond to constituents. And frankly, even if they don't respond, I think that is a productive answer. Yeah, people share letters that they get from their Congress people all the time with us, um, especially around January 6th, the insurrection. Um, people are sharing letters with us all the time of these Congress people who are choosing to believe the big lie and are putting it in writing. And I think it's important that we get all these people on the record and in writing in an issue as important as this, because this was an act of domestic terrorism against the U.S. And it seems like as the days go by, as the weeks go by, instead of acknowledging fault instead of even acknowledging that this was a problem that insurrectionists attacked the capital they just seem to be doubling down and tripling down i mean the response after the liz cheney vote was probably even more disheartening than the fact that she was kicked off of the committee to begin with and while this was going on there was also this whole january 6th hearing happening where the people in the party, in the Republican Party, were saying some of the most batshit, insane things that I have heard to date. Do we have the clip of Representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia, who is a representative of GQP batshit crazy? Let me be clear. There was no insurrection, and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. Watching the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol and walked through Statuary Hall showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. A normal tourist visit. 
I mean, by the way, I gave capital tours when I was an intern on the Hill. Um, the uh, on a day to day basis, there are not thousands of individuals who break into and smash through the doors of the Capitol building uh, dressed as barbarians at the gate, um, storming into the House and Senate chambers, yelling that they want to kill Congress members and uh, and senators. Yeah, that, that just doesn't jive with my experience. But this is what we're confronting. I mean, just think if this is what representative Andrew Clyde is saying about January 6th. People okay? died. Some, something that is where police officers were murdered, which we all saw on tape. Okay, this is an individual who is a who was elected to Congress. He has a distinguished title. He is an quote, an honorable person, if you know, based on uh, the designations, not based on how he's acting. And this is what he says about something we all saw. Now think about what this person is doing on any other issues. Just think about any other issues, whether it's climate change, whether it's tax policy, whether it's anything. You know, it's like a, in a baseball game where literally uh, a pitcher okay, would throw the ball in the wrong direction and not even throw the ball at the catcher. He would take the ball, he would throw it around and just throw it randomly in the outfield. And the umpire would go, strike one. He would take the ball and he would throw it in the stands. <laughs> strike two. And then he would take the ball. He would lick it. He would spit on it. If you were Brett, he would sniff it, oh, throw it on the ground. And he would go, strike three. And, you know, it, it bears no resemblance to the, reality, to the reality of what is taking place. And ultimately, that is what is problematic. Brett is looking at me with a death stare right now. <laughs> what, what's more problematic in your guys' mind? If this, if this Andrew Clyde GQP actually believes this or if he's knowingly lying about what happened? We all know, obviously, what happened. We've all seen the footage. But at his heart of hearts, does he believe this or is he actively lying? I think for him, if uh, it because it involves white people as, as one of the major things, I think that in his mind, I think he's such a, a disturbed white supremacist kind of racist style politician that his views are all informed that that is how people act. We should do and like a sketch or something <laughs> that's like GQP goggles. And it's like you put on the goggles and you see a bunch of white people storming the Capitol with pitchforks and crazy garb and attacking cops and things. And then when they put on the goggles, it's just them like barbecuing and being like, hey, how you doing over there? What's what's going on? And then you see a bunch of peaceful black protesters going and then they put the goggles on and it's just chaos and looting and rioting. That's what these people see. They are operating through the lens of white supremacy, whether they know it or not. And I don't care if they you know, know it or not at the end of the day. And this is why these people are so dangerous. I mean, I don't say it lightly. When you have somebody like Andrew Clyde, when you have somebody like Rep. Jody Heiss, who said the real victims of January 6th were the Trump supporters. That's what Jody Heiss said. The real victims of January 6th were the Trump supporters. When you have people like this on these committees and involved in these investigations, to me, and I don't say this lightly at all, it's like if after 9-11, during the 9-11 commission, we were like, oh, Osama bin Laden, like, why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts on 9-11? And, and what was your perspective here? And giving them a platform. Um, these are the same people that orchestrated the attack. And I think we're at a point where it's really, it's harrowing and it's difficult to, to say this, that a major political party has been co-opted by domestic terrorism or, and, and domestic terrorist sympathizers. And, and what's wild too is at the end of the day, they actually are going to Bin Laden for advice. The main, one yeah. of the main people the GQP call upon is Bin Laden. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's that. Th there's no difference in what Trump did with January 6th in orchestrating the attack than what bin Laden did on 9-11. There's really no fundamental difference between what they did. Bin Laden didn't fly the planes. Trump didn't storm the Capitol himself. But, you know, the result is at the end of the day the same. It's chaos, it's destruction, it's terrorist attack against America. And the fact that this one was from within is extremely disturbing and we need to start seeing some action. I mean, I, I, I you know, 
we need to start seeing indictments. I see we're starting to see people get locked up for this who are participants in this. That's exciting to see. Um, a lot of people being held uh, without bail, without parole. And speaking of people being indicted, we are coming closer, I think, to an indictment of Donald Trump. What do you think? I think it's extremely possible. I think it's more likely than not that this happens at this point. You saw today Politico was reporting that Palm Beach, and I hate Politico, by the way, I just want to say, but the Politico playbook was reporting that Palm Beach is actually preparing for a New York indictment and what that would actually mean if Trump is in Florida. Would they have to extradite him to New York, for example? Does Ron DeSantis have an ability to intervene? And, and prevent Donald Trump from being surrendered to law enforcement officials in another state? I mean, these are all questions, and there are debates, I think, on, on both sides of this. Um, but Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance is apparently getting extremely close. And I know people are like, oh, but when's it going to happen? I keep hearing this. Stop teasing me. The fact of the matter is, is that for the last four years, Trump was immune to prosecution. Not only that, he controlled the Department of Justice with an iron fist. Bill Barr was not going to indict Donald Trump. That was not going to happen. Donald Trump controlled that department like no other president has in history. And now for the first time, it's been four months since Donald Trump has left office. And the wheels of justice, Ben, as you know, turn extremely slowly. You've got to build your case. But it seems like they're building their case, and it seems like all indicators from extremely seasoned prosecutors, from people like Preet Bharaha to people like Glenn Kirshner, everybody seems to be reading the tea leaves right now, and they seem to be heading in the logical direction that Donald Trump will, in fact, be indicted. So, I mean, stay tuned there. Yeah, I have no doubt he's going to be indicted soon. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it. Um, you know, I don't have any special secret knowledge about it, but all directions of what I'm seeing is that I think in the next uh, three to six months, um, six months being the latest, he will be indicted. Uh, maybe just I don't want to step on my legal AF podcast where I break down <laughs> the legal news with Michael Popak. Are you saving, you saving the plug. good stuff plug. for legal AF now? No, no, no. Wow. I'm, I'm saying I don't want to. I said, but I'm going to, <laughs> to break down some just of, of the legal issue that you basically said is that when somebody is uh, charged in one state because of our federalist system that we have, they usually get extradited from one state to another state where they're basically charged. And that usually happens as a matter of course. Um, yeah. It would be rare. Um, and, and you can almost think about it like a country, right? We have treaties with other countries also, where if somebody commits a crime in another country, you could extradite, you know, but with states, it's, you know, much easier and, and almost in most cases, like pro forma, like basically done automatically. Right. And so the issue here being if because uh, uh, GQP governors and GQP generally no longer abide by laws and democracy, um, the idea being that if Donald Trump remained in Florida while he was charged in New York, would it be likely that Governor Death Santis, GQP Florida, would not would step in and use his governor authorities, which governors have significant authorities over things in the state, to basically try to block an extradition of Donald Trump? Now, at, at some point, it doesn't stop the criminal case from happening, um, but and it would look incredibly foolish and silly. But um, one of the things that the articles in this area discussed, though, would be Donald Trump would basically have to never leave Florida because <laughs> he would then basically be a fugitive <laughs> on the run. And anytime he entered another state, he would be like immediately arrested the moment he's. So one of the things they were saying what a is if he were to go to bed minister um, in New Jersey, where he likes to spend his summers, there's a Democratic governor who would likely follow the law. And in fact, in many other states where there's almost any other governor, they would follow <laughs> the law. It's just so, so crazy that we even like are talking about this, about the former president of the United States and governors who might protect his criminal uh, liability. Well, just, that's like, the damage. The craziest that's the, thing ever. That's the damage that, uh, that Donald has done. 
With that said, I want to speak about the damage Donald has done. I want to talk more about what we can do at Midas Touch, um, what we can do as political activists, accidental activists or not accidental activists, how we can unite, what strategies we can take. How do we fight for the House of Representatives? How do we make sure that we don't give GQP any power? I'm excited after these messages to have Rick Wilson join the podcast. What's up, Midas Mighty? Ben Micellis here, joined by my younger brothers, Brett and Jordy Micellis. Have you got your Midas merch gear? If you haven't gotten your Midas merch gear, I don't know what's taking you so long. I got my gear. Most of the Midas Mighty got their gear. We have some incredible stuff. Isn't that right, Brett? That's right. And with the new CDC guidelines that say you no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors if you've been vaccinated, a lot of people have been asking us, how do you let people know you've been vaccinated? How do you know if you're around other vaccinated people? A lot of people are concerned. But, you know, we already thought about this, guys. We got our Vaxxed and Relaxed merch line. You could get it now if you still want to wear masks, if you still feel comfortable wearing masks around indoors or outdoors. We got the masks. We got the tees. We got the shirts. We got it all. And we got more on the Way, so let people know you've been vaccinated. Shop at store.midastouch.com to get yours. And that's not all we have. We got the Club Democracy gear. We got the shout out to the Midas Mighty gear. We got it all. Go check it out. That's store.midastouch.com. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Joined by none other than Rick Wilson, political strategist author, and of course, you know him as the co-founder of the Lincoln Project. Rick, thank you. Welcome to the Midas Touch podcast. Hey, guys. It's fantastic to be with you. And thank you so much for your support and the Lincoln Project's support of Midas Touch. You know, when we were coming up, we were, you know, three brothers sitting around in our couch in March. We saw what you were doing. We saw what the Lincoln Project was doing. Um, We all had a skill set me from a legal background, Brett as an editor, Jordy as a marketer. You know, when we said, look, let's just try to do a video and see what happens, you know, through the support actually of many people in the Lincoln Project retweeting our videos, it caught on, grew into an incredible movement. And so just want to thank you for all the work Lincoln Project has done and continues to do. And thank you for your support of Midas Touch. Well, it's a it, it's it, absolutely some of the best and most fun creative that from the cycle came out from you guys. We really we always enjoyed it, and and we approach this you know maybe slightly differently than some people. It's we we believe that that the problem is so big was then is now so mm-hmm. big. It takes a lot of different skill sets. It takes a lot of different people. You know, many hands make light loads, as they say. And so, you know, it was a real pleasure to see some of the stuff you guys did that was really cutting and, and really pushed out there. And I, I loved your work. I think it was fantastic. Oh, wow. And uh, I'm just glad to be on the glad to all be pulling the boat in the same direction. And so as we talk about pulling the boat in the same direction, that boat right now is floating against a tide of orange fascism, of stupidity, of <laughs> idiocracy in the form of the current Republican Party, which doesn't even deserve that name anymore, Republican. You know, we call them the GQP. Um, You know, frankly, they are a fascist, authoritarian party of of just crazy cultists. Um, How do we collectively, the universal, we, the Lincoln Projects, the Midas, what can we do now to fight that tide of fascism that still exists in Trumpism? Well, you know, it's... It is one of those questions that took, I think, a lot of people a very long time to get their head around is that and and I I, a group of Republicans yesterday or today announced that they are forming this new group saying they'll leave the party if they don't, you know, if the party doesn't change. Well, a lot of these people are my friends. Uh, A lot of them are are colleagues. I have bad news for them. It's not going to change. The party would sooner adopt conspiracy theories and 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 this authoritarian statism and this modern day fascism then it would be inclined to 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 try to clean its act up to try to get back to something that looked like the guy I started in this world working for uh George Herbert Walker Bush you know and, and in this day and age uh, he he's you know spat on by trumpists 
because he was a person um, who believed in America and the Constitution and bipartisanship and human decency. Uh, None of those things now apply in the world of of contemporary Trumpism. There are no incentives for it. There's no incentive to be better or do better or be different or do something different than, you know, being this transgressive, you know, asshole of the minute, you know, own the libs, you know, scream fest all the time. And, and those people are now rewarded for shitty behavior. So they'll get more shitty behavior, which is why I think, you know, this, this reform movement that's launching in the GOP, you know, they're trying to put the paddles on, on a zombie. It's not going to bring it back to life. I think the response today by those 100 Republicans kind of is the problem with the Republican party, you know, them saying, look, we are going to leave if it doesn't make certain changes, like at its core there, there's this hedging. There's this level of of kind of weakness of basically saying. Is it not bad enough as it is? Your party was overtaken by a fascist. Right. Your party was overtaken by a by people like Bobbert, by Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like Congressman Cawthorn, who's saying no, 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 no. Hey, 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 goodbye to Liz Cheney. And and that's not enough for you to leave right now. It's that to me, it's that hedging. It's uh, it's like appeasement and it's sure. like World War Two appeasement, you know, to Hitler in a way, just letting him come in and and conquer and still watching it and saying, well, you know, if you don't make changes, we may leave. You know, I was just reading uh, William Shire, who's a uh, was a reporter in Berlin during World War Two and before and during World War Two a book called The Nightmare Years. And he talked about how people just sort of slowly slid into it. They, you know, it was it was bad. It was crappy. They didn't like what was happening. But it was always like, yeah, but I got to keep working. I got to, you know, I, I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to do this and that. You know, that would, that would upset my own personal, you know, day-to-day routine. Well, we are in a moment not unlike that. We're in a moment where, People, you know, in Washington particularly, and I mean this, by the way, of Democrats also, they still think there's some rational counterpart in the Republican Party they can do business with. They cannot. At the end of the day, if Donald Trump calls up Kevin McCarthy and says, hey, tomorrow I want you to propose uh, human sacrifice as the center policy of the party, (laughs) there will be a fucking human sacrifice bill introduced by the Republicans that afternoon. Because he controls everything. You know, we stoked a war between McConnell and Trump in the last few weeks that is Love that. rising and rising in, in in bitterness. And we've been pushing very hard on that because Mitch McConnell realizes that Donald Trump has a gun to his head every day. Mitch McConnell is not going to be able to go out and recruit the candidates he needs unless Donald Trump approves them. And we're going to do our best to make sure that Donald Trump finds all the flaws and deficits in McConnell's candidates going forward. Because I mean, uh, real talk here, because of redistricting and because of the way the country has shifted in population, Republicans will gain about five seats just by people have moved from blue states to red states. That's not cheating or or redistricting or gerrymandering. That's just like demographic shifting. So Texas and Florida gain seats. Um, New York and California lose them. Uh, So they're going to gain about five seats in the House with that. Off-year elections, there's only three times in the last 120 years where the party in power in the White House gained seats in Congress. Uh, 2002, 1928, and 1902, I think. Um, So the Republicans are going to gain back the House almost certainly if the Democrats don't understand they are fighting an immediate action drill. This is an immediate war that is being fought in real time that is going to cost the control of the house unless they understand that these people cannot be dealt with. They must be crushed. Yeah. I'm boggled that the Democrats aren't doing their version of Benghazi with the Capitol attack and the insurrection. I mean, if I were King, there would be a 24 hour line of witnesses being dragged out from the Trump administration every fucking day to testify all these people that have been indicted, um, they would be dragged there to, to 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 have their testimony heard. The Republicans know how to do this shit, 
And I'm sorry, my Democratic friends just do not understand the raw exercise of pure malicious political power. And, if and that's deal- the other yeah. side of the scale there. We talked about this Republican appeasement of someone with dictatorial intentions, but that person also comes into being because of kind of democratic weakness. You know, one of the things that we've seen firsthand as political outsiders kind of walking into the space is there really wasn't another democratic group out there Mm -hmm. that was doing what we were doing. And we would always say like, why is it us? We're just, (laughs) we're just three random dudes who are, who are on a cell phone text message chat, making a video like, Look, we're supposed to if we're supposed to have Hollywood and this and that, like where are all these other people like (laughs) come out and start making movies? It's it's Brett Micellis from his little five foot five closet (laughs) editing videos. That's that's it. It's so true. And I got to say, you know, normalization bias works throughout history when bad people do terrible shit. So many people try to say, well, we can reason with them. We can talk with them. You know, when when, I know the the LP guys, I know we're a bunch of notorious like history nerds, but when Neville Chamberlain came back, uh, you know, and everyone told him, don't negotiate with Hitler. Don't make this deal with Hitler. He came back and Churchill said, you know, you could have war or honor. Well, you left without honor and now you will have war. And, and, and you just, people, people compromise and compromise and compromise and by the time the shit gets really bad, very few people stand up and very few people will, will be bold enough. You know, when, when, when Hitler was taking control of Germany and the Nazis were taking control of Germany, they had these things called the enabling acts. And they were basically to allow the Nazi party to take over every aspect of German life from religion to business, to society, to politics, to media. One guy stood up in the German parliament at that time. In, 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 in the Bundestag and said, no, his name was Otto Wells. And he was one guy, by the end of it, there was one guy who was willing to stand up and say, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And right now there are still way too many people in our society, in our governing system, in our elected offices and, and in the press who are, who are unwilling to say no this is crazy. You can't deal with these people. You can't accept this this kind of, of slide down into authoritarianism. There aren't many Otto Wellses around there. And, and honestly, you know, for all that Republicans scream about the liberal media, the reality is the press in Washington is transactional. They are institutional. And the Republicans know how to play that. Yep. They know how to play that game. They they fuck with I look, I'm, I'm a fucking pro at it. I used to do it for years. <laughs> they relentlessly play them over and over and over again and say things like, well, you know, behind the scenes, we know we know Trump's a silly, silly man. And we're just everything's normal. Don't worry. We're not gonna invade the Capitol at his orders and kill people. Yeah. And the press falls for that shit over and over. You know why Mitch McConnell comes across as like with these with these weirdly glowing press coverage about how sensible he is, it's because his guys control access to Mitch McConnell in the press. And if you don't write nice things about him, you don't get access. And th- this is a world where where normalcy bias and and the belief that we're not in a different kind of political space now is going to be incredibly dangerous in the future. What do you think a Republican takeover of the House in 2022 would mean for America? To me, I'm I'm terrified at that prospect, given all the shit they tried to pull this you past election. And to, to me, I'm looking forward to you know it's not just 2022, but let's look at you know what that means for 2024. If a Democrat wins mm-hmm. a presidential election, then mm-hmm. are they going to certify the election? In my opinion, no freaking way. But like, no. what, what what do you think? And like, I just want you to really tell people like what are the stakes of this fight right now? Whether you want to live in a free country or not, those are the stakes. And I, I don't mean that you know, sarcastically. I mean that seriously. If the Republicans take over the House, they will impeach Joe Biden. They will run show trial Benghazi hearings every day that will never end. They will drag the administration into a constant stream of having to defend itself in front of yahoos 
like Cawthorn and Green and Gosar and Jim Jordan and all these and Gates, all these other morons, they will constantly grind away at the administration's ability to do work and to do business and to get things done. And again, they will impeach Joe Biden. They will impeach Vice President Harris. They will go after with the, all the brutality that the Republicans bring to bear. And, and, you know, as Stuart and I always joke, we've been around this thing a long time. We help build a lot of these systems. We know what they can do. Yep. And Democrats who think they're going to easily keep the House are out of their damn minds. I mean that with tough love. And I say that just on my knowledge of of the, the electoral map in the country. Totally. In the shifts in the in the population, in redistricting, in 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 population increases. And I I the most important thing they can do right now is forget about policy. You know, you guys and we made this election in 2020 about a referendum, a referendum on Donald Trump. That referendum was it's America or Trump. What's it gonna be, folks? And America chose to not have Donald Trump visit the White House for a return engagement. The Democrats can, they, I, I know many of them are like, well, we're going to go into the 2022 elections and our, our policies will save the day. Elections are about personalities. They are about broad directional feeling and movement in the country. And, and it is important to make this race a referendum on this new Republican Party. It's not going to be about the Green New Deal or climate change or gun control or, 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 or daycare or anything else. It needs to be a referendum on whether you're going to choose a party that is on the long, the long slide into fascism and authoritarianism and statism and an engineered cruelty, or if you're going to choose a party that, that you may not agree with it on everything. You may not love everything it's doing. It may not be far enough left for you. It may not be far enough in the center for you, but you've got to decide if you're going to choose that imperfect party or, or you're going to embrace a party that will essentially mean the end of free and fair elections in this country and the beginning of an authoritarian nightmare from which it is difficult when you start on that downhill slope from which it is very difficult to emerge, traditionally speaking. So I'll ask you the, you know, the billion dollar question here. Um, how do we keep the house? I mean, with all that in mind, you have the Republican playbook right now mm -hmm. being a purely emotional one. In my opinion, it's Democrats are taking away your gas, Dr. Seuss, Mr. Potato head, cancel culture. They're trying to throw all these things out there. So how do Democrats who, in my opinion, kind of intellectualize things more, like you said, with, with policy, well, look at the, look at the, you know, the deficit and look at the, what we're doing with yeah. the infrastructure bill. Yeah. How do we com combat that just, 24-7 shitstorm from Fox and OAN that's just pumping into these people's veins. Well, and that is that is the billion-dollar question. That is the existential question. One of the things you've got to do is recognize that the country is not politically homogenous. There, there is not a single flavor of Democrat that wins everywhere. You know, if you give me 50 AOCs. I can maybe grab two or three more seats for you. You give me 50 Katie Porters, I got 35, 40 seats for you. Because the country is largely not as blue and as, as progressive as many Democrats believe it to be, nor, by the way, is it as red and as conservative as many Republicans believe it to be. But you've got to pick the right candidates for the right districts and states. That's a really hard assignment, politically speaking, but it is a absolutely vital operation going forward. It, 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 if, you don't, if you don't manage to select high-quality candidates who can get through a general election, then, then you're, you're going to find yourself holding the bag. I mean, the Republicans have gotten very good at this, about finding candidates they can pretend are either more centrist or more diverse than they are, and... Uh, and, and, and then slot them into seats and races where they can win. Um, and, you know, we used to do this trick a lot. I mean, I'm a guy who helped elect a Republican in Vermont four times uh, as governor. So, you know, when you, when you ponder that, that, that willingness on their part to, to, to be tricky and to select the right people, you, it, it's not something people should, should shake their heads and go, oh, how dare they? It's, we should be doing that shit too, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. So are, are there certain house races that you're looking at right now that you're like, okay, this is what we need to focus on. These districts, these states, this is where our energy needs to be. I, I think what you should be looking at, and, and we're going to actually say some more about this in the next couple of weeks. Uh, we should be looking at races where the Democrats had pickups. Uh, anything they picked up in 18 and lost in 20 is still in the, is still in play. Okay. The, and there are about a dozen of those seats we should be going back at, I think, pretty hard. I think they need to work the suburban Republican voters that we proved at Lincoln Project. You could you could nudge. You know, people people who are critics of the Lincoln Project say like, well, you didn't change the minds of a single Trump voter. I'm like, no fucking shit. And I didn't try. I want to slap those people across the face, Rick. I'm like, and I didn't. It's like, it's like, yeah, I didn't try. You know, I didn't try to, I didn't try to, you know, change their minds because their minds are not either changeable or, or extant. So, you know, we went after a game of small numbers in places like suburban Detroit and in places like suburban Atlanta and in places like Philadelphia, the collar counties around Philadelphia, those things are where the Democrats are going to have a lot of contested house races, those areas, the suburban areas, which are, again, not as progressive. They are, a, a lot of those people are now former Republicans or independent leaning or leaning toward Republicans. They are not about, you know, a 700 page climate change plan. They are about, you know, can my kid go to school? Uh, am I going to be financially secure? Um, is the country going to be what I thought it was when I was growing up? So, you know, and again, it's, I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate anybody's progressive philosophies. I'm just a purely practical political guy. I just believe in, in the, the risk that we face going forward is that the bad guys only have to win one big election. And look, if you, if you have the nightmare scenario where you have, you have, the house in the hands of the Republicans again. And by the way, folks, one thing you should be thinking about, the speaker might not be Kevin McCarthy. The speaker might not be, you know, backslapper Kevin from California. <laughs> the speaker might be someone more amenable and more comfortable with the Trump world. Yeah. So it used to be that there were about a quarter of the of the Congress of the caucus in the House in 2018, about a quarter of them were actual Trumpers. You know, the rest were eye rolling or terrified, so they didn't they didn't really have a core. Right now, about 80 percent of the House caucus are Trumpers, and about 50 percent of that 80 percent are what I call Trump hotties. They'd strap on a bomb vest if Donald Trump told them to. They'd do anything. So. You know, he might end up, McCarthy might end up not being House Speaker. You might end up with a Jim Jordan or a Matt, Matt Gates or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or someone truly batshit fucking crazy in that job. I mean, say what you will about Kevin McCarthy, and I will. He was a mainstream California Republican. He was a Bush guy. He was not some far-right extremist. He was a moderate by any by any standard in the old world. But now, what is the scorekeeping mechanism? It's not whether you win. It's not whether you produce good policy. It's not whether you produce good electoral results. It's does I, does the dear leader love me enough? And do I show my love for the dear leader every day? Now, Rick, I have a bit of a loaded question for you here. In 2021, who do you think is the biggest coward in the GQP? It's not a loaded question at all. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great question. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a, an astounding transition from a guy I used to really admire and it's Marco Rubio and Marco is a smart guy and a and a effective was a guy who believed in effective government he wrote a great book called 100 great ideas for Florida back way back in the day and it was very smart and it was all practical nuts and bolts stuff and he had this optimistic forward-looking inclusive message about where the party could go and right now the minute Trump broke him in the 16 campaign something went wrong in marco's brain and he spent the last year kissing trump's ass because he was terrified ivanka would run against him for senate and she would have won she still might run against him for senate you never know what's going to happen but uh, i it, it's it the guys like holly and cruz and cotton and ron johnson those guys aren't cowards they're just fucks yeah 
I mean, I mean, those guys are just. They're, they're, I mean, Ron Johnson is a. In a world where I have met some real pieces of shit, Ron Johnson is like <laughs> the frozen fecal tip of a Mount Everest sized pile of shit. He is a truly bad person. Um, and the and the morons in the party, you know, have taken over. Uh, but most of the cowards have either like been broken or they've left. I, I knew a member of Congress who hated Trump. He hated, hated him with the fire of a million suns. In early uh, 17, he goes back to his district, does a, does a town hall. And someone says, red hat guy stands up and goes, are you going to be with Mr. Trump 100%? And he gave the right answer. He said, you know what? I, I endorsed the president. I was, I, I was with somebody else before. I was with Cruz before. I endorsed the president. I look forward to supporting his legislative agenda. We agree on blah, 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 blah. And the guy goes, no, I ask you, are you going to support Mr. Trump 100%? And he says, well, you know, as long as it's good for the district. If it's not good for you, I'm not going to support him. By the time he got off stage, it had gone viral. It was in Facebook, his Twitter feed, his email. They called his wife's business and tried to get her fired. They went absolutely apeshit ham on this guy, right? And it broke him mentally. It broke him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I, I, and he, he lost in 18 after running a campaign where he basically just dialed it in. He wasn't, he, he, it broke him. So, those guys who were cowards and wouldn't oppose him when they when they when they would privately tell me and others how much they hated him and they and they were afraid of you know trolls they're pretty much gone now the, the few that remain guys like McConnell are actually delusional they're not cowards McConnell thinks I'm a crafty wily ass Republican insider I've beaten everybody in my path before I can take this guy Trump well my grandmother, who was a classic, like Southern eccentric, used to tell that thing. She said, son, you can sit on the dock and throw that alligator fried chicken all day, but eventually the alligator is going to come up on the dock when you're out of fried chicken mm-hmm. and eat you. And, you know, that's what McConnell thinks. He, they, they thought they could send Rick Scott down there with a little bowl to give Donald Trump at a plaque. And that'll, that'll make him, that'll make him like me. It's crazy. Rick, did you see this come in though, as as a Republican? I mean, were there times, yeah, whether yeah. it was you know George H. W. Whether and when you were just like even well, privately, not, you- not 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 with not with not with not with forty one. I'll tell you. I mean, people look back now. Here's how crazy. I was telling this crazy story the other day. I was an appointee in the Bush administration, uh, in the first administration. I was a young guy, right? I was twenty four years old, and I'm working for this guy named Dick Cheney. You may have heard of him. He's Secretary of Defense at the time. And David Duke gets in the governor's race in Louisiana. So the White House political office, they are like, we need a bunch of guys who can swing lead pipes to go down to Louisiana because we're going to go beat the Republican nominee on the orders of the president. David Duke would have been governor if George Bush had not said, go kill that motherfucker. Jeez. And so they deployed a whole bunch of us down there to go run, you know, the the operations and grassroots and everything else for the campaign. And it was a it was a moment of pride. I was like, we just beat a fucking Klansman. That's awesome. You know what? If David Duke had been on the ballot, it, they would have Roy Moore it. They would have been, well, you know, he may not be perfect, but he's better than the socialist Antifa. Unbelievable. Unfucking believable. Yeah. And then and then you got you got W. Do you start looking though at the Tea Party and a, a, a flirtation with yeah, uh, some of the you it's know, interesting we, because we, we forget about we forget about how w ran because 9 11 and the war okay and, and not not to litigate all that shit but the 2000 campaign with w was about education compassionate conservatism increasing home ownership among minorities around the country i look back on that campaign and we're, we're, we're like what world was that i like that <laughs> i like that world um but I think where it went off the rails, and I look at this, a friend of mine has a great theory of the case. In 2010, as the Tea Party was rising, you started getting people like Sharon Angle in Nevada. You started getting these these people who were performatively crazy. And I worked for a lot of them 
we did 35 or 36 super PAC and candidate races in 2010, all over the country. And man, we elected some fucking stinkers. And these people were, they were the, they were the, the prototypes for what happened under Trumpism. Cause you just by themselves, they weren't a sufficient force to alter American politics. But three confluences came together to produce where we're at now. One, the rise of what I call oppositional defiant disorder republicanism. Mm -hmm. Everything's wrong. Fuck you. Burn it all down. Two, the rise of Fox, the most powerful normative force in Republican politics by an order of magnitude. There's nothing even close to, to, to being like Fox, especially in the 2010 to 2020 window. That decade of the, of the machine that Roger Ailes built for Rupert Murdoch demonstrated more power to shape a political party and a movement than anything else we've ever seen. And once you get on the crack pipe of crazy, you need more crazy. So it got darker and darker. And it wasn't like, you know, if you looked at Fox in 2010, the arguments would be about, you know, debating about health care and tax rates, not about whether Antifa lizard super soldiers are invading our cities <laughs> to burn down our villages and rape our women and dogs. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they've become adjacent to all this conspiracy crazy. But the third force that rose in the same window was the power of social media to help people segregate and select out what they wanted to see and hear. And it's particularly effective among people on the right. They wanted to be told that there were lizard super soldier Antifa, you know, murderers in their neighborhoods. They wanted to hear that, you know, creeping Sharia law was going to destroy America. They wanted that because it let them be shitty people. You know, if you give somebody something that lets them be the worst iteration of themselves without consequence, they're going to do it. This is an observable fact, not just in politics, but in life itself. Let someone be shitty, they'll be shitty. And so Fox and Facebook let those people be shitty. And it put them in, you know, in Facebook, it put them in a group where they would say, well, I don't need to watch the news or talk to my friends or talk to my neighbors or talk to people at work about what I believe. I'm going to go on patriotic eagle, patriot, super MAGA flag, you know, uh, <laughs> death to infidel forum dot RU on, on Facebook. And I'm going to talk to my friends there. And that's what we're going to do. That's where, that's where it's real. That's the real news. And so you combine those three factors and you're in this political moment that we're in right now. I mean, people forget Adolf Hitler had the world's first cable TV channel being built in Berlin during the war. He had radio networks that, that used people who spoke English or French or, 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 or any other set of languages uh, where they were targeting their propaganda, it's telling them things that were simply not true. And, but many people picked up those things and believed them. And, and, you know, you look at the toolbox that is, that exists today between a propaganda network exclusively dedicated to a enriching Rupert Murdoch and B um, controlling a large mass of people who are, who are deeply committed to it as a cultural signifier, the power of Facebook and other social media platforms to allow bad people to organize and discuss and plan and plot things like the insurrection on January 6th. Um, and, and this, and this post political post policy, post philosophy, Republican party, which believes in nothing but the retention of power, owning the libs and hating the media. Um, and you've got a very dangerous moment in the country. And that's why we need the Lincoln Project. That's why the Lincoln Project came in at the perfect time, because nothing like that existed. And we hope that we've done you proud, Rick, at you, the Lincoln Project and what we've built at Midas Touch. And we love so, fighting shoulder to shoulder with you. Absolutely, guys. You you guys are fantastic. Look forward to many more many more battles ahead, unfortunately. But uh, but it's good to have good to have uh, some warriors on our side like you guys as well. Hope, Rick hope. Wilson, thank you for joining the Midas Touch podcast. We'll be right back after this message. 
What's up, Midas, Mighty? One of the things I am most proud about over the recent weeks is the new, improved, and revamped Midas merch store. And the Midas merch is absolutely crushing it from hats to t-shirts to mugs to masks you name it we have it at the Midas merch shop and we appreciate the support I mean we're selling out of most of that gear almost instantaneous we got sake bomb designs we got Baxed and relaxed the fan favorite we got be mighty we got club democracy you know what's funny about club democracy guys that one really set off republicans Probably because <laughs> democracy is a dirty word to them. So when they say, hey, democracy, or they, get like word. Really, they get really angry. But that's why I like to say, and it's it's half-jokingly, honestly, Midas merch might be the best GQP repellent out there. Talk about not wanting anybody to think you're a Republican. You rock the club democracy shirt. <laughs> you wear a Baxton relaxed mask. No one's going to think you watch Tucker Carlson. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely. And you left out my favorite design, too. The shout out to the Midas Mighty that's become a fan favorite catchphrase. So, hey, if you're interested, if you want to get some merch, help support us, help support the brothers, please check out store.midastouch.com. That's store.mei. D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H dot com and get your Midas Touch gear today. Welcome back to the Midas Touch podcast. Great having Rick Wilson on the show. Would love to have him back as a guest. Want to briefly conclude the show by talking about this. It seems that every week now, the GQP wants to blame Biden and blame Democrats for everything, for for everything. And the cranes, there's like Biden is causing the rain. How dare Biden add to the rain? We need investigations. We need investigations. It's it's lightning. It's raining. We need investigations. Well, y'all let 600,000 Americans die. So what? They were old. Is what the GQP <laughs> says. They were old people. Legitimately, were, not even an exaggeration. What they they, said. they they were old anyway, and they had underlying conditions. So so it's not our fault. Or you go well. Uh, you 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 led an insurrection against the United States of America. There, there wasn't an insurrection that looked like any other group of people walking into the Capitol building. It I mean that tourists. is. <laughs> I I mean. You know, to what Rick said, Democrats need to truly just wake the fuck up right now. Okay, we do need to be having hearings every single day, publicized hearings. We need people to get out there being aggressive and letting this country know how fucking despicable and disgusting and seditionist this GQP party is. I don't care. Let's do a fucking hearing every fucking day on Donald Trump. Let's do a hearing every day on McConnell and McCarthy and Ted Cruz. Let's do hearings on Ted Cruz fleeing to Cancun. Let's put Ted Cruz under oath and just talk to him about that all day. Let's put McCarthy under oath. and Let's have him talk about what Donald Trump said to him during the insurrection. Let's just have the let's just have hearings the same way the GQP did. And by the way, if this was the other way around and the GQP controlled the House, I guarantee you we would have hearings every single day, 15 hour days uh, about this gas shortage issue, which, by the way, was caused by a Russian hack of a private company called the Colonial Pipeline that as part of Biden's infrastructure bill, as part of what the Democrats want to pass, want to prevent companies from operating the way Colonial Pipeline was operating, allowing their infrastructure to be so vulnerable to the Russians. Once again, these GQPers are playing into Putin's hands. This is a Russian attack. And so what should you do when Russia attacks you? Should you confront the problem and figure it out? Or should you panic and get everybody in a tizzy and go crazy? Of course, the GQP chose the latter, which is why you started seeing in a lot of these red states, you started seeing these ridiculous lines and these ridiculous images that we've now all seen. I mean, do you see the people with the plastic bags at the gas station? Oh, my God. the giant barrels or the giant uh, coolers and everything? First of all, these aren't even ways to, like, carry gas. The gas is going to go bad, like, almost 
instantaneously. You're just wasting it. You look like an idiot, and you're taking away from people who actually are going to need this supply to do things on a daily basis. It's just a ridiculous look, not to mention now the issue is solved, the hack has been dealt with, and now these people are just stuck with like barrels of unusable gasoline. Like, who's the idiot now? Who looks like a dumb fuck? Just, how do you leave the house? Uh, honey, where are you going with all the plastic bags? I got to fill up for gas. What, what do you mean? What are, what are you going to do? I'm going to fill get the gas with in into the plastic bag and tie it and take it back home. You're going to do what? Oh, Oh, okay. That sounds like a great idea. The interesting thing that the interesting thing that the Colonial Pipeline Company did was they actually paid the ransom. They paid like five million dollars to these hackers, which is typically not recommended by the FBI. But they paid the ransom. Uh, you know, the government I don't think is super happy that they paid the ransom because you're not really supposed to negotiate with terrorists. But uh, they went ahead and did that. But. Anyway, the problem seems to be solved now. Uh, everybody who was in this area of the pipeline that was a little short on gas is now getting gas. And as I said, now they're just going to be random people just stuck with barrels. There were people buying these barrels of gas in places where this pipeline did not even go near, which just shows you that when Fox News tells their people to do stuff, when they cause their own issue, people listen to them. And that to me is them destroying America. I mean, if you're telling your people, rush out, get gas, this is a crisis and it's all Joe Biden's fault. You are, I I mean, it's like, it's like calling fire in a crowded theater, you know? You're causing a panic where there shouldn't be a panic, and then you're creating the problem, and then you have the nerve to go, it's Joe Biden's fault. You're spot on. And and, and I think that's a very important point that we should chat about for just a quick sec, is that it, the crisis didn't exist. There was no actual crisis. Fox News made a fake crisis, got people scared, and then because of them and what they had said to their own viewers, there was potentially a shortage on our hands because of their misinformation. It's a prime example of why there has to be some regulations on a network called the Fox quote unquote news. It's crazy. And it's why we need real leaders who are pushing forth plans that look to solve issues and don't look to just make noise and go from one battle to the next battle in this Fox News, OAN, fake news bullshit way. I mean, the infrastructure plan explicitly creates a department to secure supply chains. There is a plan in there to do this. So all these people on Fox News, all these people like Steve Scalise and Ted Cruz and all these people who are the first to go out there and say, Joe Biden this, Joe Biden that. Okay, so do you support the infrastructure plan that would solve these sort of issues? No. Uh, So do you support green energy then, which would make it so we wouldn't even have to rely on these outdated pipelines as is. You know, if we had green energy, if people were driving electric cars, this wouldn't even be an issue. No, I don't support that. Okay, so what do you do? What do you do? Why are you even in Congress? Why even in the Senate? What are you there for? And Jordy, where I only slightly disagree with you is when you say that there wasn't a crisis. I'll I'll agree with you that I don't think this was a uh, existential crisis, but this is it was a problem that exists. And as a nation, as a a nation that has uh, the largest economy um, in the world, as a nation like the United States, you're going to be confronted with problems. But the GQP wants, it's almost like when the problem happens under the Democratic watch, when the Democrats are trying to find solutions, the GQP is like celebrating the problem and thinking, ha, 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 how could I blame this on them? How could I blame it on Biden? How could I blame this on the Dems? How exactly. could I own the how could I own the libs right now? And the Dems are thinking, how do we solve a problem? How do we solve a crisis? And then you kind of look at that example again. You know, you at the end of the day, you have Biden immediately declaring a state of emergency um, on May 9th, immediately addressing it and putting people to intervene. And you compare and contrast that with the failed and zero leadership of Donald Trump, who, who just lied to the American people every single day about covid, a true existential crisis and just lied, just made shit up. Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah. And the same people who are filling up plastic bags with gasoline, we're taking hydroxychloroquine, 
or celebrating hydroxychloroquine. They were literally just, just think about that. They were celebrating something called hydroxychloroquine with no actual benefits and actually causing harm simply because rather than go through the scientific process, that was the they wanted to make. The weirdest sequence. And it's still weird when people today try to push hydroxychloroquine on people. It's like, what are you doing? There's like been a proven thing. Like there are actual vaccines and things out there now that help. And you're just going to push this. Like, no, they hate side. the vaccines. It's so why. bizarre. Anti-vax, <laughs> but they're somehow anti-vax. But, but pro-hydroxychloroquine. Pro <laughs> is, 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 I mean, it's, it's literally, that's the thing with them. Literally everything that is the wrong thing. And the more on the spectrum you go, from wrong to just totally batshit crazy to pure 5150 needing to be involuntarily taken in to a mental hospital. The further you get on that spectrum to this person really needs to go into a mental hospital. That is where these people believe anything logical to them is what most logical people go. Oh my God. Like these people need to be institutionalized. Like they literally have <laughs> something in their mind that makes them, you know, that, 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 that draws them to, to destruction, to self-destruction. And thankfully we have a leader in charge who believes in logic and believes in an actual intervening like a leader. Um, and so we're glad about that, but the moral of the story and the moral of this podcast, and definitely the moral of the interview with Rick Wilson is do not take democracy for granted. Now, just to just to conclude the show, Brett and Jordy stated that they were home and they were home and surprised our uh, mom for it was Mother's Day um, and also surprised her because it was her birthday. Happy birthday, um, mom. Happy birthday, mom. So happy birthday to our mom. This Randy. is my test to see if she's listening. Happy birthday, mom. Let me know if you hear this. We'll see if she listens to the podcast. We'll see if she, we'll see if she listens. If we'll, we'll test her. We'll go. The password, mom, is thirty three thirty three. And so, if you've listened to the podcast, text us thirty three thirty three thirty three, and we'll let you know the We'll let you know the results of this on. We'll let you know if you listen to the podcast. Exactly, and that's we should we should bury little codes in all of our podcasts to see if people who claim they're listening are truly listening to the podcast. Now, we also want to take this time as we conclude to. Thank all the mothers out there and wish you all a very happy Mother's Day weekend. Happy Mother's Day week. We hope you spent it with people who you loved, with colleagues, with friends, with family. Um, and we hope you had an incredible day. The Midas Touch movement was supported by, you know, uh, so many great people from so many diverse backgrounds, um, but definitely would want to shout out the Midas moms out there. Definitely a force to be reckoned with. A lot of our OGs are Midas moms. A lot of the current supporters who I see across the world, frankly, um, not just the United States, are Midas moms, as we like to call them. And we thank you for inviting us into your homes and being on this journey with you. This is Ben Micellis, Brett Micellis, and Jordy Micellis telling you, stay vigilant, fight for democracy. And I just want to add one thing. Dog moms and cat moms also count as moms for Mother's Day week. Shout out to the Midas Mighty!